When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording this episode on Thursday, May 6, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. Yesterday, we recorded our summer movie preview draft. Summer books. That's going to come... Summer books. I say movie. I was just looking at summer movies. I was like... <laughs> Am I going to go to a movie this summer? Mm. It's kind of a 50-50 proposition. Are there like, any good candidates? July. Well, there's the Black Widow movie. Yeah. There's Jungle Cruise. Like, I got like a big blockbuster. Um, yeah. And some of this stuff's going to come out. We've got Bond coming out in the fall. Dune's going to... Like, we've got we're, we've got Top Gun Maverick. Mm. Like, we got all sorts of stuff I need to watch. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to be able to go. Black Widow comes out in theaters and in home option. Pro- we'll probably watch that one at home. I don't, I don't know the... When I'm going to be at the movie theater is now my next uh, question. Not a plane, not anything fancy. I'm talking about going in and looking at some people punching and kicking yeah. each other in front of computer-generated backgrounds. We are three movies into the 23-movie Marvel rewatch because we were uh, the yes, last people on the planet to decide to do that. I was like, I got my first COVID shot. Now let's do this. <laughs> what up, Tony Stark? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a lot of Tony we're doing it in the uh, in the chronological order of the story, which is nice for putting all the pieces together. Oh. So we watch. So you start with Cap. Yeah, you start with Captain Marvel, then yeah. or sorry, Captain America, then Captain, Captain Marvel, America. and then Iron Man, and Iron Man Two is next up. And we'll see. Maybe yeah. I can get through them all by the time Black Widow. Let me just out. say, put when you get to Thor and Thor Two, just push through. Okay. Just know it's not going to be like this forever. The Hulk ones are the ones that I want to skip. Oh well, there are, there's only, Is there only one? now the, there's there's no po- oh I guess if you're are you gonna watch the Ed Norton Hulk no. movie? Do you count that? No. There's no Hulk dedicated. Movie okay, there. good. This is, I, I've seen like 12 of them or 13 of them before. So there's a lot of gaps in my Marvel It's completely <laughs> wild that you could have seen 12 of the movies. You're like, I've got gaps in my knowledge. That's so crazy. Right. And then we watched WandaVision and I got it, most of it. But I was like, how much yeah. of this do I not get? And I don't even know I'm not getting it. It doesn't matter. It's like how comics are. Yeah. They're soap operas with Yeah, capes. I like you that. Can dub, that you, you can, can dip that, in. That you can just hop in and out. Yeah. And Bob the other day was like, Oh, now I have a theory about like the about what vision even is, and I was like, "Oh, great! We are three movies into a twenty-three movie watch, and we're gonna have theories already." Cool. <laughs> vision doesn't appear for eighteen movies, Bob. You got to holster that you one know, for a little while, fella. Bob's patient. You know, he's got his master and commander. He's on like book twenty of the audio series. Yeah, that's right. He's he's into books that were about where it takes nine weeks to cross the Atlantic. Yep. He's not going anywhere. He's fine. <laughs> Day seventy-eight on our journey to the west indies more grog still eating hardtack <laughs> okay uh so that's coming up and then field of dreams field of summer dreams. movie book club mm-hmm. coming up and then we will do a summer our, our best of the year our favorite reads of the year yeah. so far that's our next few bonus episodes coming up so if you want to get on the field of the train field of dreams bus um go check it out uh based on the the novel by w Kinsella. shoeless joe um, shoeless joe um, which I haven't read in a really, really long time. I'm looking forward to, to this will be that, my so. first one. I think I might go then tangentially into damn Yankees because if you're talking about baseball, <laughs> shoeless Ray. Joe, you gotta baseball <laughs> just ease his pain. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let's do our sponsor. We'll come back and do follow up and uh, get into the week's stuff here. A follow up. Um, had uh, someone email to say from from Hachette saying sheepishly. I hate to be to have to take ownership for this news, but it was originally Hachette that was going to publish Woody Allen's memoir, but then Simon and Schuster took it over. And was it the Regnery or, what, or no? That was Skyhorse. Did Skyhorse end up taking it? I think Skyhorse took it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but it was initially Hachette, and Hachette had the walkout. Yes, that was all part of that. I do want to give that. I want to attribute that piece more than the. They were going to publish right. the walking out piece is the part that I was actually. Yeah, this is a correction from the department. Of 
You were right. <laughs> That's so nice of you to say. I was just going to let it lie. I know you were. I was just going to let it sit there. It's almost worse. <laughs> yep. I was like, let's just... <laughs> We're both thinking it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I was going for. Um, the law firm I, of this I, is mine, that's yours. That's yours. I never want that wacky wheel Um Though it, it's, it's important for this reason, too, not just that the rightness of me is something worth commemorating this in all days, but that if I wonder if Simon & Schuster had had, had the, wish, the Hachette walkout moment, mm. they would even do the Mike Pence thing. Ah, yes. It's interesting that the publishing houses are not yet learning from the things that happen to each other. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like, Gee, I wonder if those people that work across the street from <laughs> us and literally do the exact same thing will have a similar problem that we not do. Not to mention that the way that publishing professionals hop jobs between publishing yeah, houses there's so true. <laughs> probably like 10 percent of the current simon and schuster workforce was at hachette mm-hmm. last year <laughs> yeah so i guess we, we might jump down there's some more there's some more um editorials about what publishing stands for i think it's really interesting to continue following that because now it's not about the pence book no right it it, it the all, this discussion is much bigger than the Pence book, but the Pence book is a really, really hot flashpoint, and there's a lot of gunpowder laying around for this. And I think it's a long, it's a long time coming. Um, I have to say, this is one of those things where I didn't when we, when we've been talking about the things we care about in books and reading and publishing for so long that some of the stuff that's in the water now, I'm like, yes, this is what we've been talking about. Right. I didn't foresee this one mm. of like. And I guess it's it's Trump. It's the whole thing that I, I guess was blindsided with like a lot of people of my particular privilege and political point of view. I'm just alliterating now to be blindsided by the Trump phenomenon. Just I still can't believe that's a thing. Right. I, st- I, st- I still have a hard time believing it. But an outshoot of that blindness was that there wouldn't be just a change in workforce and front list and marketing budget. But it would it would get all the way to a fundamental pillars of the earth discussion of what publishing actually does. In hindsight, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just did not see. I thought there might be a it might be more of a natural evolution. But this feels like a revolution. I guess if that distinction makes sense, this yes. feels like more of a revolutionary thing than the we diverse we need diverse books moment that has been has been making strides step by step. This is something. This is like a Bastille Day almost for publishing. I feel like is am I wrong? About that? No, I think you're right. I think it feels like a a potentially revolutionary moment and that that is what folks want it mm-hmm. to be that's the idea is upend the way we've always done things which is publish books from all over the political spectrum under the guise of under the guise of like a wide marketplace of ideas but really mm-hmm. because we're willing to swallow the bitter pill of putting out some material that we think is abhorrent because it's profitable because publishing is a business and get down to what are we willing to profit on and the yeah. staff of these publishers are pushing i think the it's you know kind of the kids versus the establishment in some ways but i don't want to discount the fact that i'm sure that there are high ranking and powerful folks in yeah. publishing houses that want to see these changes as well and to push for a, a real look at values like what really are the values because this lip service to the value of you know publishing a broad variety of voices when that gives you cover to publish damaging material that encourages violence and oppression of many members of our communities is it worth it and right. can you actually say that you are meeting your mission as a company if you're willing to make that compromise? And we're finding increasingly that the employees of these publishers do not want to be faced don't with do making it. that they compromise. They don't. Yeah. They don't. And I think, yeah. I think that the first publishing house to make a big decision about this is going to be in a really wonderful position for new hiring because once mm. a big publisher says we are cha- we're going to change direction. This is how we're going to do it. It's not, we're never publishing a Republican ever again. But, you know, if you're out in the world encouraging violence against anybody, we're not going to profit off of that. We're not willing to do it. It's bad for business in the long run. People are going to be lining up to work there. And you're going to have to compete with that. Let's set some new standards. And I do think... I think that's a a really good point, Rebecca. I really think that's an important vector that maybe people haven't been thinking along. Because I I continue... My own thinking about it has continued to evolve about... And using this 
the Pence book as um, a proxy, but like, do we think the fate of the Republic is that different if some conservative publisher takes on Mike Pence's book versus Simon and Schuster doing it? I think the answer is that is no. The fate of the Republic is no different. The book is out there. People are going to buy it anyway. So then what, but is the Republic any different if Simon Schuster publishes it versus a conservative? I don't think the state of the Republic's any different. So really then it's about, do you want to do it? Yeah, it's, right? it's what like, is... Then it's really about, do you want the money and do you want to yeah, do it? Like, I, I, which is, we know what that's, that's what Right, I don't think it's about any one piece of content a publisher yeah. might put out. It's about the overall pattern and moreover, what do you think your duty or job or role as a mm-hmm. publisher and then remembering that publishing houses are just made of people who are citizens. Right. What are our That's duties right. as citizens to the discourse that we participate in and to the messaging that we allow to go onto the platforms that we have control of or access to? And it's not just publishing. I mean, we were, you posted a story that I've been following quite closely because I read Jason Fried's, I think it's how he says, F R I E D. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. And I think mm-hmm. you read that too, mm-hmm. that book, which we I think we both really liked, the founder of Basecamp. And Basecamp oh, lit themselves on fire. They sure did. Um, in a way that my sense of them, I followed them a little bit, was, um, I don't want to be too harsh or too laudatory here. I'm not trying to find the right. I think it was dangerously obtuse is the way they were thinking. What they basically did is saying, there's no political discourse at work. <laughs> No social issues, no political discourse, because it's a distraction. And there's not a place for it, and you can go save it. Basically, save it for group chat is kind of what they were saying in a lot of ways. And there was a Fuhrer at Base, base Camp. Make, it's a San Francisco technology firm. They make it's, – it's basically a – It's a project uh, management is, tool. It's a project management team collaboration kind of a tool. It's a very nice tool. We use it at one point, and we go with something else. It doesn't really matter. And I think that, that book they wrote doesn't be crazy work – makes it seem like, again, I don't know how much they live into the things they say out loud. This gives me some pause. But that book felt like there was very employee forward. They're thinking it doesn't have to be this way. What is a, They do some really, I think, interesting things at work. So it's not someone who was like, you know, working people in the coal mine or something mm-hmm. like that, which makes it even more interesting, <laughs> frankly, yeah, that it's... they said no political discourse at work, no social discourse at work. There's a big hubbub. Someone said something real bad at a town hall, they said, okay, if you don't want to work here, we'll give you a buyout for six months of your salary and a third of the company wants. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm really glad that you brought that up in this context because I do think that's a cautionary tale for publishers. Yes, it is. And it is. W- one of the core pieces of what's been happening at Basecamp isn't that the employees were just talking about politics. They were specifically no. talking about how the company's values of diversity and inclusion get expressed mm-hmm. in company policies or really don't get expressed in company policies and in just the way that it is to be a person in those offices or those virtual spaces right now. And that's on the table and part of the conversation that employees at Simon & Schuster are having. That's part of what they're saying is this is about mm-hmm. you listening to our voices. If you say that diversity and inclusion matter to you and that black lives matter to you and women's lives and trans lives matter, we are your workforce who include black people and trans people and women and other people of color. And you're not behaving in a way that actually expresses to us that you care because you are taking money from you're profiting off of these bad guys who do bad things. And here is what you need to do to show us that you care. And it's not inconceivable to me that somebody would roll out a town hall meeting at a publishing house and be like, let's just not talk about politics now. Like that's functionally what part of the Jonathan Karp's letter was like, let's just, let's just focus on the parts where publishing does go two steps forward. And we'll all just be fine with the fact that some of the books we publish take us one Mm -hmm. step back. And we want you to participate in putting out. Let's just talk about the Yankee, how the Yankees are doing at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Right. Like this, this, it could happen. You know, Basecamp had 57 employees and now they're down 20 and publishing houses have many, many more people and that means that they can organize that simon and schuster letter was signed by like 216 220 Mm. staff people you you want to lose 216 people on one day like it's not inconceivable that that could happen yeah especially if there's an appealing alternative you're right right and and for a tech company based in san francisco those 
those people are very fungible in terms of they can go get other jobs. Right. Right. I mean, presumably a lot of those people with Basecamp on their resume and that had been there in good stead could go walk over to any number of walk remote, zoom into any number of companies and get an equivalent job. I mean, that's that's why labor power is so interesting in an era of labor has so much more power in an era of full employment or fuller employment, wherever you are on the caller scale. Right. Um, That you can walk and Mm -hmm. you have power because the the alternative is you're going to lose all your people. They're going to go work for McMillan or they're going to go work for uh, Salesforce in San Francisco or something else like that. So anyway, it's a long digression that we're still working through. But I, I do think it's important in that moment that Hachette now has an experience. They have they've been inoculated. They they got a they got a shot. They got their first shot, and of their immune system saying, "Hey, you know what? Not so much with this," and they jettisoned it. And I'd be fascinated to hear how it's affecting what Hachette is doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because they said we're not doing it. Right. Like, so did Hachette, they set a precedent. Did they turn down the Mike Pence book? Like, I just desperately want to know how Mike Pence landed at Simon & Schuster in the first place. Yeah, um. right. I can't imagine Hachette <laughs> considered Woody Allen. No, again, it's, it's different. They're not all the same. And Woody Allen's thing is its own. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it. But it's its own thing. And maybe someone said, well, this said the things that I've said, which is true, that this is the vice president. Right, and this is a historical document. All the things that remain true, but like we don't want to deal with people walking out. Yeah. We don't want to deal with it. So, all right, um, I've got feed. I got some other follow up too from email. You know, I'm not sure I've ever gotten more feedback on anything we've ever done than me just talking about the Kindle Oasis for. Oh, really? Time. I, d- I didn't prep you for this at all. <laughs> I have a theory here. Okay, bear bear this out with me. In the era of we're in, where. We've talked about this before in various places where the, let's, what, what should we call it? The, um, the uh, platonic ideal out of central casting for a book lover is you buy hardbacks of commercial slash literary fiction in a tote bag at your local independent bookstore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I do. About. You know exactly what I'm going with this, right? <laughs> yep. And that manifests itself on TikTok, on Instagram, on social, in your library shelves, in even just the the fun, like the tactileness of buying a book and reading it. That is the, I don't know, it, it has its own like like vinyl record kind of fetishization, romantic fetishization mm-hmm. about the whole thing. The consequence of that is that me and my e-reader people, we've gone underground. <laughs> We're the unloved. The underseen, like my my copy, my my text of um, I'm reading right now, Gentleman in Moscow. I'm late to on delightful. By the way, you are all right. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Really delightful stuff. Anyway, taking a picture of that, putting on Instagram is just my Kindle. That's not. There's no. I can't make it into a heart. I can't make a Christmas tree out of it. You know, I can't. I can't put it next to a, a jar of tea and some potpourri and a cat. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit that mode of conspicuous consumption. And so people don't talk about it. They don't show their Kindle off when they're reading. They're not showing it by their, their hot dog legs on the beach with the book in their lap. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's been a while since that meme was around. The silencing you know? of the ebook reader. The, it's not silencing. It's just, we've, we just, there's not, it's not cool to be, a, it's not cool to be a digital book reader right now. That's my theory. What do you think about that? How do you like them apples? I, yeah, I think it's kind of coolness neutral. Like it's not uncool. Well, it's not uncool. It's just not cool. Yeah. But you, yeah. for you, it to, are you going to be a huge bookstagrammer if you're just showing your Kindle all the time? I mean, I don't but think like, that's how it works. You have to care about coolness for this to matter. At well, that's all. what I'm saying. That's why we're just we're just count me. I mean, for put this on my tombstone. Count me <laughs> among the uncool. Like that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Like on the whole, and I just people and and I think it's the vociferousness and the excitement people were hearing to hear someone talk about how ebooks are great. Yeah. Right, frankly, you and I talk like the virtues, not just the, but the, of e-books themselves, because people were saying, "I love my iPad," and my whole thing was the Kindle's better, but the iPad. But they were so excited to hear someone talk about digital reading, like mm. I want to talk about how great my iPad is. Yeah, I mean, I I'm sitting right here. I'll talk to you all day about yeah. how great my iPad Mini is. I lo- right, I'm on my second right. one. I love it very much. Maybe we just don't do this enough. We need to validate all forms of reading. Yeah, and you know, I think that's it, it's. Again, no one's saying that digital books aren't real books. That that right. is over. We have evolved. No one's saying that. we're evolved. Yeah. But what it is is that, especially we're all at home, and for people that like to be social, which a lot of people do, that's fine. No no shots. But if one of the things you want to do is take a picture of what you're doing and something you're doing all day is reading, 
there's kind of a natural pull to a, a pretty cover or just a, just a print book. I don't care if the cover is ugly. A print book just mm-hmm. it shoots better. It just shoots better. And I wonder if that has a kind of like I'm not I'm not doing reading right because mm-hmm. the other thing about buying ebooks is you're not buying them from your independent bookstore. Unless I don't even know, can you still do the Kobo yeah, shuffle? Yeah. Can you still do that? You can do that. Unless you're doing the Kobo yeah. shuffle, which nobody. And doing. there are some non-Kobo options through Indies also, but yes, they require yeah. wrangling. Right, right. They require wrangling. If you don't require wrangling, then you're with the big A, and that's also not a popular place to be in. People have come to terms with it, but a lot of people that emailed me about how much I love their Kindle, they weren't talking about their Nook. Let me mm. just say it that. You know, they're talking about, I love my paper white. I love my Oasis. Got lots of helpful feedback about how to make that weird corner that sits in the palm of my hand feel a little bit better. I ordered a pop socket, which I've always abhorred, that you put on the bottom of your phone, whatever. I'm making such a delighted face. I love the idea of you with a pop socket. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just so you can hold a little bit different with having the weird corner in hand. I got a lot of recommendations for um, different kinds of covers. Uh, A lot of people explained to me why they went for the paper white over the Oasis. So I, I just I see and I hear you all and I hope you're enjoying it there because here's the other thing digital books this other thing that's going to talk about so much because Amazon is so responsible for so much but not all of it but so much of it is the flexibility of digital books are just inc- just incredible it's just so just incredible efficient yeah. yeah in library reading this year I think a lot of people got back on their iPad mm-hmm. got back their Kindle Paperwhite or whatever because they could check out the book and they were available there they didn't have to you know. Their libraries were closed. They weren't going to the bookstore, um, and I just, I just think that maybe, maybe what I'm saying is that e- e-reading is now underrated. It went from being the next big thing everyone was worried about, and then it went to oh, audiobooks. Yeah. And I was even looking at um, Simon and Schuster's quarter, uh, full annual results from last year, and they said just ebook sales were flat. Audiobook was up, um, print book was up, but ebooks were flat. And that flatness, I think, is telling in a way. Like it's not down. It's not up, but it's yeah, flat, I, and that's really interesting. Yeah, me. I don't think they're underrated so much as just like under discussed because I think yeah. ebooks more than anything else are just a mechanism. Like they're just a tool, and they make it really clear that any any form of reading is just a, like whether right. it's a codex or an audiobook or an ebook. Like that, that thing is just the container for the content, mm-hmm. but that relationship between the container and the content is really explicit with ebooks. That it's, I think, folks have figured out the place of e reading in their reading lives. And like my idiosyncratic use is I read new fiction in hardcover because I like that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I like going to the independent bookstore, ordering from a friend's yes. bookstore. Or yes. Yesterday, yes. I'm going on vacation next week. Yesterday, I went to Barnes & Noble just to walk around and pick out books from the paperback favorites table. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I got influenced by you and bought Evie Drake Starts Over and Pachinko. Did you start Evie Drake Starts Over? No, I'm starting it on vacation. Oh, oh, oh for vacation, right. I'll be fat. We should have a mini like catch up book club about okay. or just like talks about some of these. Those are wildly different yeah, books. I'm so they are. And they're just both things that I hadn't gotten to yet. And they were both yeah. on the paperback table. And I was like, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And Perfect. so I'm going to, I read my like big fiction in hardcover and I read nonfiction and memoirs and anything like that's lighter or fluffier or that I need to like take on the go with me or that I don't want to invest in hardcover in ebook and a lot of galleys. I do a ton of galley reading and there's, it's way easier. Like I'm so glad that COVID changed the galley mailing situation because now I get like two books a month that I didn't ask for and everything else is digital. And that's so much better for the planet and my sanity. Mm. And it's just, it's just so, so practical. And my, my sense of it is most readers have figured out whatever their idiosyncratic division of print books versus ebooks is and and for some people that's entirely ebooks but yeah it feels like we're not in the we're not in the stage of like converting new ebook readers anymore no i i agree and i think you know there's some clunkiness not clunk, clunky is not quite if it was a little bit easier to get digital ebooks onto your e-reading device writ large i think that would move the needle some you just have to do a couple of you have to just take a couple of steps again you can do it but there's a lot of friction there's more friction mm-hmm. there than there might be. But I, I think what we've learned about ebooks over time, and this is something we, we used to talk about this a lot more, um, is that ebooks show that they, that's like the naked robotic core of reading, right? It's just text on a screen. And the screen itself is, you know, a slate mm-hmm. that when you turn it off, 
is a dead item. Like it doesn't have any of the uh, material, like the Walter Benjamin's uh, mechanical uh, work of art in the age of mechanical. <laughs> it, it, it just is a blank mm-hmm. slate. It doesn't have any aura. It doesn't have anything exciting about it. No one's setting out their Kindle Oasis or their coffee table book. So any whatever the values that you get out of reading that are in excess of an ebook, by definition, you don't get from an ebook. And we know there's a lot of those. There's a lot of things people like about books and reading that are not your eyeballs moving over words. And that's fine. I'm just saying it's it's interesting to me that the to some degree, the simplicity, the delivery, the cost, um, the versatility of ebooks can't match yet the other pieces because mm-hmm. it has so much going for it that it should be at least tied with print and it's not which i well, think is so interesting it's just that thing that's so hard to do with an ebook or an audiobook or whatever is that like that identity signifier yes. piece that's what i'm saying yeah. it's uncool and, right it's and it's like that it's not that you just want to like be out in the world and have people know that you're reading books but specifically for posting stuff on instagram but i think that's where like out of print clothing and all of those other yeah. book adjacent products have popped up like this is a mm-hmm. master's thesis i want somebody to write like mm-hmm. if in the age of instagram would we in 1974 <laughs> where people were in great gatsby t-shirts? exactly i don't think so i don't think so either like we have yeah. instagram so we and we have so we have this like very visually driven social network mm-hmm. that's also identity driven and coming around community interests and if ebooks didn't exist would all these other book-related products still be things that people buy and take pictures of? Or do we just have those because there's enough people who want to signify to the world that they're readers and they don't always have, like, the hardcover book to post? And maybe it's both. Like, maybe there's just such pressure to identify to the world who you are that there are probably, you know, folks who read exclusively beautiful hardcovers and they also have a closet full of Gatsby t-shirts. But right. And I, I'm not saying that's bad. I, yeah. Please hear me, everyone listening. I'm not saying that it's bad because it's just like getting a new haircut or getting a totally. tattoo or getting new clothes. It's all about expressing yourself. None Look, of this is bad. I'm what I'm just saying is it's interesting how yeah. much of reading is. It about is that. like how much is yeah. about. That. None of this is judgmental. Like I am looking right. at a Shakespeare and Company tote bag as we speak, and I have yes. literary tattoos on my body. I have a giant <laughs> wall of bookshelves that I love, right. and I. Don't read them because I've read all those. Yeah. Those are dead books I mean, to me. I'm not fifty percent of them. I'm never going to touch again in my life. But I like having yeah. them, so I'm I'm a member yes. of this club. Yes, I just yeah. like three days ago Instagrammed myself in a hammock with a book I was reading. You know, like right. it's it's part of how we. It's part of my life, so it's part of what I share with the world about my life, and yeah. that's just how we're doing it now. But it's it is so interesting. Like ebooks can't catch up to that. They did you see that how. And I, I, this is just my theory based on, I was so surprised. I mean, again, we're not talking about hundreds of emails, but dozens of emails. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do, you because I asked about your e are you doing? And again, there's selection bias here because people who are excited about their e reader <laughs> is going to do it. But the amount of excitement sent, <laughs> fell out of scale with what I thought was kind of a, you know, here's an interesting thing. It's been a while. And yeah. I, I didn't feel like it was in my um, e-reading manifesto. We just talked about on the show. The, <laughs> so we just recorded how manifestos never go anywhere. Sure, far for way, no one to pay attention to what you do is to call it a manifesto. Anyway, but the, the, the passion that elicited of all the things we talk about <laughs> was so surprising. It really felt like there was, um, you know, uh, Emerson says, you know, one thing you like it when you respond to in a writer sometimes is your own unreflected, unexpressed feelings mm-hmm. being articulated. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a little bit of that of people like, yeah, it's I love I love my e-reader, but that's like the deepest uncool thing to say if you're a reader is I love my Kindle. <laughs> what could you say that's less cool than that? <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, like, you're it's because right. it's Amazon and it's not a thing, and you're just like mm-hmm. I'm reading genre on a Kindle. Like I, I totally get that, and I I feel you. And I hadn't really put words to. That is because so much of the discourse is about how Amazon is bad, right? Amazon is bad, and they're like 90 billion percent, I think, of the e-reading market to to a first approximation. So, so much about what what you have to do for most people to have the, 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 I'll just say it, the best, most seamless e-reading experience is to have a Kindle. I'm sorry, just as the truth. You can do other things that are fine, but in terms of just the experience and pricing and the whole thing, a Kindle, we can buy right there. It comes with 5G. You can have a book, any any book you want, anytime, anywhere, and the charge lasts for three weeks. Kind of remarkable. When I'm talking to my chat skin for um, 
uh, the annotated episode about what happened to Barnes and Noble, right? Um, he said the fight the the fight has been to get the the book that the reader wants mm-hmm. to them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Right? That's um, uh, Barnes Borders was really good at that. Walden Books developed this whole system, and they were all about making sure that the book was in stock at the point where the reader wanted to buy it. A harder problem to solve in the multiply SQ. SQ KU world of books. And then Amazon saw the same thing. There's a billion books. So no store can have them all. Even the giant Barnes and Nobles, even the, all these, these flagship coliseums of print that existed, you know, I think it's going to be weird to look back at that time too. We had these like 50,000 square foot Barnes and Nobles littering the country in the late nineties. And even then they didn't have everything you wanted, right? right? You, they could be out. They, and then Amazon's like, you know what? We can get the right book to the right person, the right time faster than anybody else. And the Kindle is the perfection of that, except it doesn't do the thing. That's like for most people, like for most people, it seems to be at least half of the experience of buying and reading a book is to have the actual object and have it look great. And that's fine. It's just so wild that we sort of seen, we've seen it, played out yeah that, and this is where we are i think i joked this is the end point of that experiment yeah. right i guess i joked a couple of years ago that i thought an e-reader developer should come up with a way to like display the cover of whatever you're reading on the back of your e-reading device so if you're like oh. sitting on the train or on a bench in the park or whatever somebody walking by could see what you're reading in the same way that they can if you're holding a hard cover and you could you know, at least do that. I don't know if anybody else has like tried it. I'm sure there's tech issues with it. Did you just see? Oh, go ahead. I also Sorry. don't know if it would satisfy. Like, if you could yeah. display The Great Gatsby on the back of your e-reader, so folks would know that's what you're reading. Would you then be inclined to pose your Kindle with your candle and your latte and your tall socks <laughs> on a Sunday morning? <laughs> I think so. We didn't. I mean, this is a very small thing. We didn't even write a post about it on the site. I don't. I don't see mention any of the newsletters, but I noticed it because I was like, "Damn it! I would have paid the extra money to do this." Now, if you get a Kindle without that's not ad supported, when you put it to sleep, it will show the cover of the book you're currently reading, which is something I've been screaming about since I had my first Kindle. I don't know why I couldn't do that. And finally, like, fine, I'll buy the one with ads. I'm getting a bunch of like, for for some reason, cowboy romance titles really like to advertise on the lock screen of mm. Kindles. But you have to get the one without ads, and it's like 20 bucks more. And I, again, I don't care. I'll look at the ad or whatever, other than a blank screen, I didn't care. But to get the one without ads now, when you set it down, it'll show the cover of what you're reading. And I don't care about showing that off. I just forget what I'm reading. Yeah. Like, I need to, when I kept the camera, like, what was I reading again? It takes me a minute to get there. But I think you're on to something with, I guess, what, what would the ideal case be? You almost need, like, you need an e-reader that is in the shape of a hardcover. Yes. And the front is like an LED screen. Uh-huh. So it makes it look like you're reading, uh, what were we just talking about? Oh, A Separation by Katie Kitamura had yeah. this really great oh, like, Instagramable cover. cover. That it looks like that enough that if you take a picture of it on Instagram, it looks like you have the hardcover mm-hmm. of it there. I don't, you can't really stack them in that way. But uh, Should we kickstart yeah, this? We I should kickstart this idea. <laughs> yeah. I, talk about a vanity press. It's not even a vanity press. It's a vanity library, a vanity life. Um, show title. Um, Welcome to Instagram, Jeff. Well, uh, actually, you know, of the social networks I'm still on at all, I look at Instagram from time to time. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. It's fine. But it does it does lend you, even me who posts like once every couple of months a picture of my kids, like you're doing stuff that is different than if you are reading, you know, uh, Agatha Christie's seventh best mystery on your e-reader because you got it from the library. That's too much information. Now you're living my <laughs> life for me. But it did. There, there's some. There was. There was a palpable sense of me too. Yes, me too. L- really find the e-reading experience to be so great, and not having a place to put that. And I got it in the in- in- inbox, and I appreciate all that. Right. And I really saw all of well, you there. Very interesting. We see you, e-reader people. Yes. Uh, all right, let's do another sponsor break, and we'll come back to news. I hijacked that top <laughs> a segment, but you know what? The people demanded right. it. Look, I want to talk about. Some nice things first. Yeah, let's for do a it. change. For a change. <laughs> Show's been a downer for a couple weeks. Kinda has. Um, Reese's Book Club, that Reese being Witherspoon, uh, is partnering. Uh, she's joined the One Name Club. I just didn't realize it. Right. There's no ambiguation. You say Reese, you know who it is. Yeah, that's true. Okay, go ahead. Reese's sorry. Book Club is powered uh, is partnering with um, something called the Readership to create Lit Up, which is providing five emerging writers with an all expenses paid 
retreat, three-month mentorship with a published author, and marketing support from Reese's Book Club. Um, They are also, I think, partnered with We Need Diverse Books. So they are seeking diverse women writers who meet their eligibility requirements. And you can get the information um, from the link in our show notes or go to reesesbookclub.com slash lit up to find out how to, you know, apply for this opportunity that will give you some support and mentorship and access to work on your manuscript and ultimately hopefully have your manuscript be published. Um, It sounds like a very exciting opportunity. Reese Witherspoon is certainly very connected. Um, And it's cool to see a big thing like Reese's Book Club partner Mm -hmm. with We Need Diverse Books and make these moves. Um, And this makes me, you know, I'm firmly on the Reese Witherspoon train here, I have realized like she buys books by diverse authors. She does a great job adapting them and getting books, uh, not licensed, mm-hmm. whatever the term is when you're going to turn a book into a movie. Um, that happens. She does seem to be a very outspoken and smart advocate. And she's using resources here to create opportunities for writers from underrepresented groups to have access to resources and to have their stories published. And it's cool to see. I'm really glad to see We Need Diverse Books um, get to partner with a big platform like this, too. We asked this question of Oprah back in the day, continue to wonder about it in in hindsight. And I'll ask it of Reese here. Why why doesn't she have her own publishing house? Mm. I mean... I was reading today that Jonathan Karp in his remarks about SE, uh, that he's the Simon Schuster CEO was talking about how they've had good success with when their books get picked up by Reese and this most recent one that's going to you know up to one hundred eighty thousand print run. Why why not capture more? Why not like basically farm to table it, buy the manuscript yeah, I, and publish? They're doing all the things. Yeah. They're they're marketing like get it get people would bring the books. You could get the books that well, you're going to get earlier. Why not do it? I'm confused. I, I know. A I'm bit. confused too. And I have this theory. I think I texted you about this. I was like looking yes, you at did. some. I think it was something that came up in my Instagram feed of Reese Witherspoon. Like a couple of the books that they've featured in the book club recently or have acquired recently. And I think that part of what they're that she's using the Reese's book club for is like market testing for which books become popular enough to acquire them and adapt them for film and screen. And like in some cases, you know, manuscripts get acquired for film at the same time that the book is sold. That doesn't happen that often. But Mm -hmm. she has a big platform and definitely not all of the books that are selected for the book club sell at the same rate or reach the same level of popularity. And it's a really interesting like data set to see which ones does she feature that become really popular and which ones don't really catch on. And that's mm-hmm. maybe an interesting indicator. And it seems to me like she could do that even more efficiently. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to yeah. say. I think that's more of a, a, a pebble in the jar of owning yeah, the whole stack yeah, because no, then you would get the thing earlier, right? right? And you would more, get the thing and you'd enjoy the revenue. and like You'd have more control over it. And she's a, she's good at marketing. So like... It seems to me one of the great... It's... W- one of the great no-brainers. Yeah. Again, I don't know what a celebrity... I really don't know what a celebrity's finances are like. Maybe she has so much money and the whole thing works and she likes doing this and it's kind of a hobby for her. But, like, but she's making partnerships with like car companies to do audiobooks. Like It's clearly like, a business, surely, much more than Oprah ever did. Don't you think surely someone has approached her about an imprint? Like ha, they ha, If they don't, everyone should be fired, right, including us. Right, like, like it's, if someone hasn't said, hey, Reese, have like, you thought about it's, making Macmillan yeah, Reese's? Yeah. You know, like, it's my assumption that she has had the opportunity to have an imprint and has turned it down, and I would yes. love to know why. I'd love to know why. Because there's just books all over the place. Like I got an ad for like pajamas from her clothing company recently and when i was down the rabbit hole of what kind of pajamas does reese witherspoon sell the Mm -hmm. the loungewear page of her clothing company's website has books integrated into it for sale and it's like very it's beautifully done it's like here are your yellow pajamas with blue flowers and also here's a book with a yellow cover and blue flowers you could do the whole thing it's a paltrow's goop for book nerds do the whole do the whole thing (laughs) yep you could do uh, Jade City. That's a joke out there for you. No, no thanks. Um, uh, it's a it's a real it's a real question because I don't remember why we we're ta- there was some other context we were talking about how Oprah didn't 
to our knowledge, at least. Maybe there's a story out there. She never did that. She has a thing with Flatiron, a deal now, but we're now way past the the height of the Roman Empire. Yeah, we're past Oprah. At her height. That, at the height, she must have got pitches too. She decided to start a magazine. She was doing TV. Maybe books were small potatoes, and the book, Oprah Book Club thing was just like a content segment. Mm-hmm. Like for us, it'd be our equivalent of like Hero of the Week. Right. Like it's something we do, but it just so happens that her platform was so big that Hero of the Week could like make people actually into knights or something. Like it just has way, way, way outside effect. I'm sure... Now, if you're only picking books that you publish, it does limit the field, and you'd have to invest in editorial staff and acquisitions, and maybe you don't want to do all that. Maybe she gets, you know, why why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free kind of a situation, mm. but if you're going to go turn them into development, pick up the royalties. Yes. Pick, them up, pick it, roll it all up, and roll it all up. You know, just to go back to our earlier segment, if Reese Witherspoon rolls out a publishing house that wants to hire diverse people, and you know Reese Witherspoon yes. is not publishing Mike Pence's memoir. <laughs> no. People would flock to it. Flock. Flock. It would be it. fascinating. If you're a birdie who has magical knowledge about why Reese Witherspoon doesn't have an imprint, please tell us. Yep. Podcast at bookriot.com. Yeah, because it is the thing where if she wasn't already making a business out of it or you know there's clearly a staff of people here that has to be managed mm-hmm. by people it's not just she's on instagram talking about books every now and again for funsies and has two million people in a sub account like it's clearly more than a hobby because running a business is hard for anyone like the business stuff is what people think oh you can talk about books or do instagram about books and you know you can be an influencer and get paid yeah you can do that but the heart Half of it is the business part, mm-hmm. and it's complicated, and all the things that go into it. It's it's not easy to make anything into a business, but just because you have a bunch of people following you doesn't mean it's a business there. So maybe it's that layer of a complication. This is the layer she likes. She gets to pick books. She gets to have her book club. She gets to own the whole stack as it is, and then you know cherry pick things for a development company, but she doesn't have to do the marketing and printing and all that stuff out. I don't know enough about how those imprint works where – could she have her cake it, eat it too, to some degree as a sub imprint of, of Macmillan, mm-hmm. you know, like as Sarah Jessica Parker or Bourdain or um, some of the other people we've seen that gets these kinds of things. I, if, if I were in her orbit, I would be like, why aren't we doing I this? I think it would That's be, what I, I, I would be, I wouldn't, I'd be, I'd be a, cont- now maybe there's an answer there yeah. that I don't understand. And so that's what we're looking for, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like, when I, the, I think like the, the Sarah Jessica Parker and Bourdain, like celebrity imprints are usually like the celebrity as just the curator and they don't necessarily yeah. have, you know, other business responsibilities, like the marketing of the thing or to try to meet some sales goals, but like Reese Witherspoon. Right. She's selling the units. She's selling moving the units. units. Right. She would be more like an acquiring editor. Um, than a curator for... She wouldn't have to do... I mean, I don't know what Reese is doing now. That's another thing I don't know. Like, what is... For every pick, how many is she not picking? Do you see what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't have any sense of that. So, but on the other hand, you just get the main... You do the same thing higher up in the stack. I don't understand. It's really interesting. I'm I'm fascinated. So many questions. So many questions. All right, more good news. And this is a Book Riot family news, so take this one. Book Riot family news. We are so, so thrilled for Jess Pride, who is a longtime Book Riot contributor and one of the co-hosts of our When in Romance podcast, has an anthology that she's editing that's coming out uh, next February, February of 2022 Mm -hmm. from Berkeley Books. It's called Black Love Matters, Real Talk on Romance, Being Seen, and Happy Ever Afters. It's an incisive intersectional essay anthology that celebrates and examines romance and romantic media through the lens of black readers, writers, and cultural commentators. She's been working on it so hard. I can't imagine somebody in a better position or more qualified Mm -hmm. to do this kind of work and pull together this kind of anthology. And now the the book info pages for it are out in the world. You can see it on Goodreads. You'll probably be able to pre-order it soon. And we're just so excited for her so big congrats Jess Pride and if you're listening to this and an anthology that looks at romance specifically around black lives and black love sounds good to you and it should then you can click the link in the show notes and add it I don't know to your Goodreads shelf or make a note to find it when you can pre-order it but we're stoked for you Jess good work may your efforts succeed may your ever- they have they they did yes you're doing it and go check check out uh her on the podcast over there. It's a good time. I do drop in to listen to sometimes mm-hmm. they're listening if they're talking about something that I know about. So much romance I miss. Um, I should go see if they did an Evie Drake starts over Ooh. thing. Um, sidebar, real quick. Sure. This is a live sidebar. 
I was looking, I was making my list of um, books I might try to make sure I read to have under my belt for our best books mm-hmm. of the year so far. And I was just trolling around Goodreads. I was on Goodreads. It made me think of it when I was looking at Jess's book just now. Coming out February 1st from Berkeley, Berkeley Press, which is cool. And I noticed, you know what book we haven't talked about as being a thing that broke through? What? We talked about Vanishing Half as being the book maybe of last year, mm-hmm. the, like, the year before into last year. It's still selling. It's still charting on the hardcover fiction list. Have you read Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab? No. This book has been on the, the bestseller list, hardcover adult bestsellers for 26 weeks in a row or something now. Mm-hmm. It's got like 40,000 reviews on Goodreads. Anyway, I read the... the um, Light and Dark. I can't remember the name of the trilogy that she wrote, which I really liked. I don't know what this is a book about. It's all over the place. Anyway, I just was going to ask you live on there. Cause I, <laughs> if, you, if you've out there and you've read it, podcast at bookriot.com. Do I get to ask um, you what's on the list of things you want to make sure you read before we... I, you know, I'm circling the Lockwood. Um, mm. You gave me the warning about the Lockwood. Um, we didn't talk about Cutoff. Can we do that for a minute? Oh. What date is so far? Is it anything that's going to be out by July 1st? Anything we've read, even if it's coming out later in the year? Let's I'm trying see. to figure out We're... what to do with Other Black Girl, I guess, initially, oh. my first thought. The show comes out, that episode will come out in mid to late June. So so anything that's out by Ju- the release date of that episode? Or out by June again? 1st? June 15th? Something other like Black that. Girl comes out June 1st. <laughs> Well, we won't record. I don't think we record that episode until like June sixth or twelfth, something like that. So no, I'm saying, but like just, just I just need. Is it if it? Well, maybe this would make sense if it's out by July first. That's the first half of the year. Yes, and we maybe we've read some galleys. So yeah, how, can we agree yes, on that? Sure. If it's out by July first, that's so fine with me. Pub dates of June thirtieth and before, because June open that opens up a whole other stuff I want to read. So there's other Black mm-hmm. Girl, and I want to get to the Lahiri. I'm going to get ah, to next yes. uh, whereabouts. I've heard some good things about. Oh, speaking of hearing good things about, I saw the first review for Underground Railroad <gasps> for Barry Jenkins adaptation, and BBC Culture was just blown away. Oh, so there good. you go. I was excited I'm to see ready. that. I kind of squinted through it because like eh, I know, I, like um, if it, I, I have so much faith in Barry Jenkins, and I'm so looking forward to it. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like the internet will inevitably have some bad takes because it's the internet. Sure. I mean, we can't have anything else. <laughs> we uh, can't have nice things. Yeah. Uh, you want? Let's do a Hero of the Week and get out of here. Can we talk about this Albuquerque story? Yeah. I don't want to talk about this other yes, stuff right now, talk, unless there's one you want to There's hit. not. Let's talk okay. about this Albuquerque store. This was just, I don't even know how this came across my desk this week, but I learned that there is one single native-owned comic book store in the entire mm. world. Which is a travesty. Seems too few. One seems like too few. Yeah. But you can go to it in Albuquerque. It is called Mm. Red Planet Books and Comics. They opened in 2017. And the shop's first titles were used books by native authors that came from the owner's Mm. own selection. And now he sells children's books and a lot of comics. Um, And the librarians of color were in town for a conference at one point, and they bought out a lot of the children's books. So there's a little note about that in there as well, which is wonderful. But if you are in or near Albuquerque or you're going to be there, Mm -hmm. they also have a website that you can check out. We'll have this little profile um, that I I don't – I wish I could remember even how I came across this. But I thought – That's a good find. I I saw the headline, only native-owned comic book store, and I was like, how is that possible only? And we should – and thought we want to shout them out. So that's a good hero of the week work, and also may their efforts succeed. Yeah, you can buy online there if you want. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the website right now. The piece is in the Daily Lobo, a byline by Hannah John. Yeah. Um, interesting to to see there. Um, let's get out of here. Yeah. And uh, podcast at bookriot.com for feelings. I, for I would be interested. In, I would. I would be interested if anyone, any of you that emailed me about your vociferous response to the e-book thing. Am, am I on to anything about? Are you sad that you don't feel cool? No, I'm not sure there's I'm not sure anyone's sad about anything. Do you feel like as an e-reader you are not at the center of what people talk about when you're talking about mm. being a book person right now? Do you feel on that, you know, periphery or you know, you're not participating in it for for a variety of reasons? Um I I that's my working theory. Maybe maybe you don't care. Maybe you're you're fine. Um I'd like to know that. I would also like to know the best book you've read that's a pub date of 2021 yes, so far. tell us. Yeah, there might be some things that we missed. Um, 
See, I, I'm trying, I'm circling the Lockwood. I don't want to do the other Black Girl. I've got the Lahiri. I'm going to read the Andy Weir. Got a couple nonfiction things. Um, oh, yeah. We're listening to the Andy Weir on the road trip next week. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah, a good yeah. audio choice. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. It's supposed to be good. The, 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 it came out to, uh, Tuesday. Uh, yesterday. Just Tuesday, came out yeah. Yesterday. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at other things. Morgan Jurgens' Call Baby. I'm looking at that one, too. Yeah, I don't, that's, this is my handwritten scrawl here. I'm sure there's some other ones. All right. Sounds like a... Did you read Gentleman in Moscow? No. I just couldn't get excited about it. I couldn't either, and I bought it for two bucks, and I picked it up, and I was in in like 10 minutes. Um, I think there was something else I was going to ask you about for the show, but I can't remember what it is now. Oh. Oh. Field of Dreams came on 1989. Mm-hmm. You saw it in the theater? No. You were like six? I don't oh, think okay. so. Okay. All okay. my Field of Dreams memories are on the living room TV. Yeah. All right. I, I was wondering about that. I was starting to make some notes because I saw that it's our next thing to do. And I was like, because we, we usually start mm-hmm. with, you know, what's your first encounter? And I remember distinctly, you're going to hear this all again for the show, everyone. I'm so sorry, but I'm me. Um, it came out in 99. I was 11 years old. And it was within that same summer... Um, I got a bike mm. and my brothers and I could bike, or my, my younger brother, my, my middle brother, my younger brother was too little. We would bike and go see matinees for like a buck. And we went to see a field of dreams like four times Ooh. that summer. I remember it distinctly. It's a good Cause it's where we could do it's hot. It's, you know, they had an arcade. Um, it was a good time. And I remember, I remember distinctly and I was in my, the height of my baseball craze. So I, I knew all the players they were talking about, Smokey Joe Wood and Ty Cobb. I was like, couldn't believe someone was talking about like 19 teens baseball players. I'd read, I had just read Eight Men Out, which is the historical fiction version of the Black Sox scandal of 1919, where Shoeless Joe gets his ass kicked out of baseball along with the other um, mm. players of the Chicago White Sox. Anyway, and I was like, is like, is this book, is this for me? And then I remember looking over my dad, who's like choking up. Oh. Like, oh, it's for my dad. <laughs> I'll anyway, have to call save it for the show, Jeff. Save it for the yeah, show. Yeah, I'll have to call my dad and ask him if he remembers. You a sports fan, your dad? No, he's a Georgia football fan. University of Georgia so, football fan. University but he's Georgia a Field of Dreams fan. fan. Yeah. So right. hmm. like that's hmm. definitely how it entered my life, but I'll have to ask him if he remembers how he first saw it. The Boat Rocker by Terrence Mann. I mean, it has to be up there with the great non existent movie books (laughs) like is there is there a more famous non-existent movie book than the boat rocker by terrence mann probably not probably not all right i have to ponder that one rebecca thank you so much Mm -hmm. for my ramblings here at the end and being patient with me as i get all that out have a good one Uh, talk to you later (laughs) 